Hey everybody, my name is Tom. I am so glad to be back with you again this week. We had an awesome celebration of Easter last week, and before we dive into the message, I just want to do two kind of quick housekeeping notes. Um, next week, Gail and I are going to be on vacation, so we're going to be trying to kick back, relax a little bit, take some time to catch our breath, and as a, um, as a side benefit to that, you guys are going to get to uh, hear David Carlson bring the word of God next week. So really, really looking forward to that opportunity. Um, David, as part of our teaching team of people who regularly uh, rotate through bringing us uh, the, the gospel message each week. So you got that to look forward to. If you guys should need anything uh, pastorally next week, please feel free to reach out to Leanne, any of the elders, anybody on, on the lead team. All right, so we are kicking full gear back into Disrupted by Joy. This is Disrupted by Joy, part two. And it really can kind of feel um, overwhelming, almost unattainable, when you look at joy the way it's presented in the New Testament, right? The New Testament authors command us to things like rejoice always. They command us to things like um, consider it pure joy when you face trials of, of all kinds, um, by their example, right? These guys, these are the guys who in the book of Acts are singing worship songs in the pit of a Roman torture chamber. There's a, a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and we call it the, the book of Philippians, but it was a letter to his friends at the church that he planted in Philippi. Most scholars refer to it as his book of joy. It was written from a Roman jail. How, how does any of that even work. It just, it, you know, going through life, it can feel like, man, that is just not like so far removed from me. I can't, that's just not me. But what I suggested to you last week is that joy is relational. Joy is the, is the knowledge that someone is happy to be with you. And specifically, Jesus Christ, God of the universe, is happy to be with you. So much so that he took our sin, the thing that separates us from him, upon him on the cross, and he beat death, that punishment that we deserved, and he rose again so we could have an eternal relationship with him, a relationship into eternity that starts now. As Christians, we don't sit around and wait to die to be with Jesus. Jesus is with us now. And that gift, that gift of that relationship is ours when we come before Jesus regardless of, of the suffering, of the, um, of the hardship, of the baggage, of the sin, of the struggle. Whatever it is we might have, it's not bigger than our relationship with Jesus. Jesus values our relationship more than all of that stuff. That stuff doesn't get in Jesus' way. It can't keep him from us. And it, when we look at it in terms of that as joy being relational, joy is a super emotion. That means that it actually can be layered on top of, right alongside things like um, the six kind of big hard emotions, sadness, anxiety, despair, shame, um, disgust. I'm forgetting one in there. Um, but it can be layered alongside of those. So because it's relational, we can be with Jesus, know that he's with us, know that he's for us, and still experience those things and be able to make it through those things. 
not only can we find joy in Jesus, first and foremost, that's where it comes from, but when we enter into a relationship with him, we enter into a relationship with his family, and we can find joy in other people who are chasing after Jesus. So we're going to pick up another of the resurrection accounts. Um, last week, we looked at the one from the Gospel of John. This week, we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. The women of the, the early church were the first ones who en encountered the risen Jesus. And in this account, they had just seen an angel. The angel had told them that Jesus had risen. He wasn't there, wasn't dead. They shouldn't be afraid and to, to, go, to go on their way. And this is where we pick up the account. This is in Matthew um, 28. And we're going to, uh, there's two different chunks. We start in verse 8, going to read a little bit, and then we're going to jump down to verse 16. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you've noticed that there was some text in there that I highlighted in yellow, and I'm going to break down those verses for us as we think about this idea of being disrupted by joy, having our lives forever altered by a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with his people as we look at some of these um, specific phrases. It says the women were afraid yet filled with joy. There it is. There's that idea of joy being a super emotion. The, the chaos and the uncertainty. You go to the grave where you think you're going to mourn and grieve the loss of your friend and Messiah, and instead the tomb is empty, he's not there, and there's an angel, dazzling white, talking to you, and he sends you on your way to tell you to go find the risen Jesus. Afraid yet filled with joy. The fear is there, but the relationship is there, and it's more, it's more powerful. This is so interesting, right? So they're all together. Jesus is with them. There's a bunch of people who have been following him, and it said, but some doubted. Right? The risen Jesus is there. So I kind of take a little bit of, of encouragement from this in that for whatever reason, there are just some folks that regardless of the evidence that you put in front of them, that they're still going to struggle. And they're still, like, we don't know what their specific doubts were and what there was holding them back from believing, but some of them still doubted. So Jesus is moving forward and he's reaching out to people and we get to go and make disciples of all nations. I want to pay special attention to two words there, disciples and all nations. Disciples in the Greek, um, lifelong learner. Uh, when we think about it, like it's an idea of like an apprentice. Like today, uh, an electrician or a plumber has an apprentice where they ride alongside somebody and they watch what they do and they learn how to do what they do. But as I was digging into this this week, um, there's a, another kind of nuance to it that I discovered, and it's the forming of a habit. The forming of a habit. How cool is that? So if you take the, those definitions of that original language, it is the lifelong learning to 
try to live habitually like Jesus. In other words, that we would think and say and do those things that Jesus would if he were in our place without even consciously thinking about it. We would just be the kind of people that would act like Jesus regardless of what hard emotion that we are dealing with, regardless of what celebration we're in the middle of. That's what it means to be a disciple. And as Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, again, back to Acts, right? That word, nations, ethnos, everybody, no matter gender, ethnicity, uh, background, ideology, any of those things, Jesus said, go make them all into disciples, teaching them to obey everything. All right, this is where we're going to spend the, the majority of our time, teaching them to obey everything. Okay, that's like Jesus was with these guys 24-7 for three years. That's a lot of stuff. There's four different books written about it. That's a lot. But remember, thankfully, Jesus simplified that for us. Break that down. Teach them to obey everything. Love God and love others. And today we're concentrating on that love others aspect, but we're going to go through love God to get there. The Old Testament uses this awesome, awesome word for love. And I'm, I'm not going to pronounce it the way it should be pronounced, but the word is hesed, right? And uh, I want to read you a couple of different definitions for it. Hesed, the sense of an enduring connection that brings life and all good things into relationship. Hesed is a kind and loyal care for the well-being of another. All right, so that those ideas, right, is the love that God has for us. And the word is, is, I threw up those definitions, but the word is really hard to translate. It's so full, it's so rich, there's so much meaning to it that when the Apostle Paul took it and tried to translate it from Hebrew into, into Greek, um, he, had a, he had a hard time. He ended up using the word agape, but he then ended up taking an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, to define what love, agape love, looked like. This, this full, this kind, the loyal, the devotion, the source of everything. And the closest thing that we kind of have to that is this idea of attachment. If you think of a newborn baby with a, with a healthy mom and dad and the way the baby looks at that mom and dad and the way that mom and dad look at that baby, right? the baby looks to them for everything, totally, completely dependent and when everybody's healthy and operating as they should, the mom and dad look at that baby and they can relate to baby with that look that the baby is safe and cared for and loved. And that's where that joy starts to form, right? It's an attachment. That's the kind of love that God has for us. That's the kind of love that he wants us to has, have for him. So we take that love. That love flows from God to us, through us, to others, that attachment love, that love that is life-giving, that has everything, that becomes available to others through us, through those following Jesus, through those who choose to attach themselves to Jesus. And again, thankfully, Jesus knew that some of his followers would be like me and would need some more help. He broke down love others into two pieces. The first one, love others as yourself. So when we, um, when we have that attachment love with God, that 
frees us in so many ways. It empowers us in so many ways, but maybe most importantly, it empowers us in the way that we can love others. We don't have to be subject to things like uh, people-pleasing and peer pressure and, and get all jacked up in things like codependency. Right? We're free from things like fear of conflict and fear to be perceived as a failure. Or, or um, We're free to not be worried that people would perceive us as inadequate or stupid. All of our identity, all of our validation, all of our security is in that attachment relationship with Jesus. So we're free to love others without worry, without concern, without having to be dependent upon them. Specifically, what does that look like? I'm going to suggest to you one, um, one verse. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 15. All of Romans chapter 12 is Paul, again, is Paul writing to these house churches in Rome, and they were kind of starting to squabble. They weren't like really playing nice in a sandbox. So he's writing to them, and he's trying to encourage them about how we act, how we treat each other in this new family of God. And in this verse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. What that means is that on my best day, you're happy to be with me. On my worst day, you're happy to be with me, and vice versa. If we can, as a community, if we can grow and we can develop our ability to love through that attachment and love from Jesus to others, that we bring to other people the knowledge that we're happy to be with them regardless of what they have going on, that brings them that added measure of security. That's how we love others as ourselves. The other piece, the, what is probably the more challenging piece, is to love your enemies. And so as we do with all things, we look to Jesus to be our example. Last week I read to you uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1. I think I might have read all 1, 2, and 3, uh, but I didn't really explain verse 3. We're going to look at that real quick right here. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right, him is Jesus. The opposition was the crucifixion, right? Now let's think about, we're thinking about the idea of loving our enemies. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Think about what Jesus did on the, on the cross. He was suffering. He had been beaten. He had been tortured. He was nailed to a cross. His life was literally draining away from him. And yet he still was able to keep relationship as the priority, right? Look, think about what, what he did on the cross. As he was on the cross, he invited a thief who was being executed next to him into paradise with him, assured him of his salvation. He, I've referenced this a lot over the last couple of weeks. He prayed for forgiveness for the men who were killing him. Right? He looked at his mom and he looked at his buddy John and he said, John, she's now your mom. You take care of her. His relationship with his mom was still important. His relationship with his friend was still important. And then all of that, the, the keeping the relationship priority. Jesus maintaining who he was. He never stopped being Jesus in all of his glory, even on the cross. One of the guards who was responsible for keeping him on that cross, making sure he stayed there, looked and he said, surely he was the son of God. 
that's what it looks like to love our enemies. So it says, grow weary and don't lose heart. So when we're struggling with people who we disagree with or who treat us badly or who would, who would harm us by what they think or say or do, we can look to the example of Jesus and, and be encouraged and know that it's possible to keep relationships the priority. What about the flip side of that, right? What about, what about when we are the enemy? Um, what about when it's my worst day? We, as a community, need to encourage ourselves to grow in our faith, to mature in our faith to such a point where we are still happy to be with those who are struggling, right? I want to surround myself with people who are still happy to be with me when I suck, when I am not at my best. I want to be able to count on people to lovingly correct and redirect me because we are going to screw up and we are going to be the enemy. And that's like being that kind of community is what we're trying to build here, that we can love others as ourselves on their best day and on their worst day. So as we think about those ideas, right, loving, loving others as ourselves, um, loving our enemies, especially when we, when we are the enemies, it made me, it made me think of one, one particular relationship, a really, really long relationship. Um, as a matter of fact, if you look at that, I think the date on that is March 21st, 1999. That is an order of service from a crossroads service that Gail and I attended when we first moved back here from Arkansas. And that is Carrie Stratton's handwriting on there. And that was the day that she met Gail and Jake, apparently. And then I got a little hand, handwritten in there. Um, but man, that started a relationship. Carrie and Bill Stratton are just amazing, amazing people. They have walked alongside us. They have given us wise counsel and encouragement and support. And they've been, um, they've done the same thing for our kids. You know, on, on some of our kids' worst days, they came alongside them and invited them in and were happy to, to be with them. You know, they came alongside us and whether it was, you know, being with us in the midst of an ugly cry or like borderline despondent rage, they were there with us and they continued to be happy to be with us. But, you know, maybe... Maybe more importantly and more significantly, they were, they were real with us. They were vulnerable with us. They let us, they allowed us in and allowed us to learn from their struggles and the things that were hard for them. And they didn't hide that stuff from us like it didn't exist. That's what it looks like to love others as yourselves. And when we were screwing up and when we were the ones who were being the enemies, they were still right, right there with us. So we want to be a community where we can um, be the ones who pour joy into people. We want to be a community where we can be side by side and know that together we're chasing after joy that will open up that love relationship with Jesus. We want to be a community where there are people who are maybe further down the road of faith than us and we can look to them and know that they're happy to be with us on our best day or our worst day. Those are the kind of relationships we want to build around here. Those are the kind of relationships that transform lives for an eternity. 
So you guys, this summer, you're going to have, we are all going to have an opportunity to do that. We are going to try and do things a little bit differently than we've ever done them before. And I would really encourage you to participate. My hope and prayer is that we would all come along for this next leg of this journey, that we would all come along together and develop these kind of relationships as we build these communities in Fairfield County where we seek to know and grow in Jesus and that and get attached to Jesus and then share that joy that he has for us with others. That as we do that, Jesus' love in us and through us and for us, our joy for each other, that we would, it would change the course of our lives. It would disrupt our lives and then we would go and we would disrupt the lives around us with the joy that Jesus has for us.